Well, this Bible is, uh, uh, was given to me by my mother in 1989. It says, this Bible has been presented to Fred Hartwell Wolf. And you know what she loved to call me? Fred Hartwell. You know why? Because her daddy was named Hartwell. And he died at a young age of 55. And that she'd already had four girls, Betty, Margaret, Frieda, Nancy. Then she prayed for her son and told God I'd, she'd give him back to be a preacher. She didn't even ask me about it. <laughs> but sure enough, here I am, 60 years later, preaching the gospel. I didn't ever get to know my grandfather, Hartwell, but they said he was a godly man. She gave me this on my 52nd birthday. Wow. It would be nice to be back there again. <laughs> and so this is very special to me. It was on April 26, four years later, that she went to be with the Lord. But on the f cover, on the flyleaf inside the first page of her Bible, there was a message that she had kind of outlined. And it was on John chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Of course, that is a great, great passage about heaven. It tells us so many things that brings us comfort and courage. So let me read those verses to you. And then we're just going to talk about this passage on heaven. Begin reading in, in verse uh, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God... Believe also in me. Another trust translation there is you trusted in God, now trust in me. I like that. Let not your heart be troubled. You trusted in God, trust in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. You know that had that was so significant. It had uh, the disciples had trouble wrapping wrapping their arms around that because he said, "Now I am. I know you're troubled, but I'm going to prepare a place for you." And then what encouraging words when he said, "And I will come again and receive you to myself." Man, I know you're troubled, but listen. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. What is God the Father like? Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long 
and yet you have not known me? Now listen to this. He who has seen me has seen the Father. People want to know, well, what is God like? Well, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read all the testimonies of Paul and Peter and those who wrote. If you want to know the heart of God, all you got to do is study and know the life of Jesus. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father in the garment of the flesh. The Word became flesh and lived among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you show us, say, show us the Father? Now, I'm just going to take this verse by verse. And the first thing I really want you to notice about this passage is that the disciples were troubled. They were, they were troubled disciples, troubled disciples. And you say, well, Brother Fred, why were they troubled? Why were they so disturbed? Well, Jesus had just told them in chapter 13 that it wouldn't be long until he left them. And, and I, I had not realized that right in chapter 13, he told them, it's, let's look at that verse. It says, little children, that's affectionate term for Christians. I shall be with you a little while longer. They didn't like that. You will seek me, and as I said to Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also may love one another. And by this, all men will know you're my disciples, if you have loved one for another. So you see, he had just told them in the chapter before, he said, now look, I'm fixing to leave in a little while. And right now, you cannot come where I'm going to go. But, and then he goes on in 14 and says, but I will be coming back. I'm preparing a place for you I will be coming back to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The disciples were very, very troubled. And they were troubled because uh, Jesus not only told them that he was going to be leaving them in a little while, but he told him what was ahead of him. He told him about going to the cross. And you know, he did it about three or four times. Don't you know that troubled them? In Matthew 16, 21 through 23, let me tell you why they were troubled. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, the disciples had a problem wrapping their minds and hearts around this, that he would be killed. And it just like it went over their head that he said, I'll be raised the third day. In fact, look what Peter did. <laughs> then Peter took him aside after Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die, be killed, third day rise again. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. We're not following you but for you to die. We want to help you build your kingdom on this earth. And and he turned and said to Peter, now listen to what he said, get behind me, Satan. You see, 
Jesus knew that if he didn't go to Jerusalem and die, and God raised him from the dead, that Peter and all the rest of those disciples would die in their sin, just like you and I would die in our sin. And so he turned and said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You're trying to keep me from doing the will of God, which is to die on the cross in your place. For you are not mindful of the things of God, Peter. You're thinking like a man. And so that was troubling them. They were troubled about the fact that he told them he was going to leave in a little while. They couldn't go where he was coming right now. They couldn't go where he was. And then he told them, I'm going to die. And on the third day, God is going to raise me from the dead. And it troubled them. And you know, I think what really troubled them too was they were concerned about their own death. In other words, well, if, if Jesus dies, everybody knows we were followers of Jesus. He was hated by the scribes and Pharisees, loved by the publicans and sinners, hated by the religious people. Well, if they killed him, uh, our name is probably on the list. And you see that in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 11. Now, when, when the, if anybody ought to have known about the resurrection of Jesus, if anybody ought to have been at the tomb on the third day, waiting and watching for him to be raised from the dead, it should have been the disciples. Just the opposite. They were in a room with the door locked, afraid. Afraid that they were going to die too. And so we read in Mark 16, 9 through 11. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week. By the way, that's Sunday. That's why we worship on Sunday. He appeared first. Now look who he appeared to first. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Out of whom he had cast seven demons. Isn't that interesting? The first person he appeared to alive from the dead was a woman that he had rescued from the grips of the devil. And don't you know, he wanted to just let Mary Magdalene see, it ain't, it's, I started to use a bed, I started to say it ain't over. It, uh, it's not over. It's not over. I'm just beginning. And boy, she fell at his feet, and he had to say, let me go. She went and told those who had been with him, now look what they were doing. They went there at the tomb waiting on him. As they mourned, here the disciples in that room, mourning and weeping. You know, they, they were not only troubled that Jesus was going away in a little while. They were not only troubled about he, him dying and raising from the dead. But they were troubled about death itself. They were troubled about death. Have you ever noticed that a lot of people don't like to think about dying? They, they don't like to think about it. They don't like to think about death. But the truth is, every day we live, we're one day closer to our death. Unless Jesus comes back and takes us home to be with him. So many, many people are troubled about death. And some, some just are fe fear and are paralyzed by the thought that they are going to die. And so therefore, they're troubled. Well, you know, um, which comes to a question when people are troubled about death. Uh, what happens when a person dies? I think that's a valid question that we need to ask. What happens to a lost person when they die? 
without Jesus Christ. What happens to a believer when they die in Christ, a child of the living God? Well, the Bible makes it clear that we're all going to die. In Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, it says, It is appointed unto men once to die. So he doesn't believe in uh, what the Hindus believe. You know, you just die and come back as something else. You know what I mean. Reincarnation is what that is. It says, it says, it is pointed unto men once to die. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and after that, the judgment. I, I heard the story, which is supposed to be a true story, of a young man who God had saved and, and planted and he always stood on the same corner, and he would always speak to people that came by and tell them that he knew Jesus, Jesus had saved his life, and they'd hoped he'd get to know him. Well, there was one guy that it really aggravated. I mean, he just, he, he just got uh, angry. So he'd come up and go by that guy, and he said, well, I want you to know, Jesus died for me and saved me. One day I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm praying for you. And he'd just get mad as fire. And, and then he'd say, well, and then he would always close the conversation by saying, well, you know, it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. So every day that guy'd come by the corner and that man would look at him and say, it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. He probably did that a hundred times. Well, one day the man came by and said, guess what? I found Jesus as my Savior. I guess he kept hurting he was going to die. And the judgment was coming. It finally got through to his head. But so we know this much. That we're all going to die. And after that the Bible says there's a judgment. Of course I want to deal mainly today. On, about heaven. And what happens to us when we die. But I must say to you. That when a person dies without Christ. They are separated from God forever in a place called hell. And Jesus spoke of hell 13 times. He really spoke about that more than he did uh, passages on heaven. For example, in, in Matthew 10, 28, it says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You say, Brother Fred, I, I don't like to believe about hell. I don't like to think about a loving God sending anybody to hell. Well, I don't like that either. But just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's not true. In fact, the, the Bible says, and I love this verse, in Matthew 25, I believe it is, uh, verse 41, you know what it says? Now, he will say to those on his left hand, depart from me, you curse it into everlasting fire. Now listen to this, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was never prepared for you. Oh no, never prepared for any of us. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, however, if a person rejects, refuses, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for their sin and are determined to go on and live their own life without God and without Christ and they die in their sin, then the Bible says 
that they are cast into the lake of fire. Now, you say, Brother Fred, a loving God wouldn't send anybody to hell. Wait a minute. You think I don't know that? Why do you think Jesus died on the cross so no one would go to hell? Why do you think he rose from the dead, declared to be the Son of God with power, so that no one would have the power to save anyone and they wouldn't have to go to hell? In fact, someone said, and I liked it, that God blockaded the door to hell with a cross. And the only way you can get in there is to go over the cross or around the cross. Oh, it's not a matter of a loving God. The Bible says God is willing that none should perish. Have you ever looked up that word none? It means none. Zero. Well, that tells me the heart of God. It says in in 1 John 2 that Jesus is propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. If you do not know Jesus Christ today, I want you to know God does not want you to perish. And if you do not know Jesus Christ today, I want you to know that God blockaded the road to hell and Jesus has already died for your sins. But yet you have to make that choice and receive him. So that, you know, the Bible's clear. You know, it's interesting on this one other verse that I'm going to mention that Jesus said about hell, which is pretty graphic. Matthew 5.30. And listen to this. I mean, he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, I'm glad he's using an example here. (laughs) I mean, I'd hate to go have to cut my right hand, though. I'd hate to cut my big toe off. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than that your whole body be cast into hell. So, what, what happens when a person dies? They die without Christ, they're separated from God forever, and they face the judgment. But man, what happens when a Christian dies? What happens? He said, let not your heart be troubled. And, 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 and he goes on and says in verse 2 and 3, said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go, and if it were not so, if there weren't many uh, houses in my father's mansion, if it were not so, I would tell you, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. So the Bible says that Jesus is preparing heaven for those of us who know him as Lord and Savior, and those of us who die in Christ, robed with his righteousness, our sins forever under the blood of Christ, and forgiven and forgotten. And so heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. You know, the Bible says there are three heavens. There's the first heaven, and that's the heaven realm we're living in right now. It's called the first heaven. Then there's the second heaven where Satan and all of his demonic spirits, they rule. That's his kingdom. He's the prince of the power of the air. And he moves from the second heaven and operates in the first heaven where you and I are. 
And so, and then there was the third heaven, which is heaven. The real heaven where God's children go and are going to spend eternity with him. You remember, Paul was caught up into the third heaven. It means he passed right through this heaven and right through the first, the second heaven and went right on into the third heaven, which is the glorious realm of, of God himself. It is heaven. And you know what? He said it was so glorious. And God gave me such revelations. He, you know what he did? He knew I could get very proud about what I'd seen in heaven, the third heaven. I, I could say so many things that would be far greater than anybody else had ever said. So unless I get exalted by what I knew, unless I get exalted about what I knew about the third heaven, he gave me a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble, to keep me humble, so that I would always remember that it was all because of him, and it wasn't, that was only when I was weak that I would be strong. And so, now, you know, um, I'll talk to you a moment, about, a moment about what happens when a believer dies. But uh, I want to just read you and let you read with me. In Revelation 21, the description of what I call the final heaven. You know, believers who die in Christ are in heaven right now. All that is, they're they, they in. But here... Uh, this kind of is a picture of the place Jesus is preparing for us. In Revelation 21.1 it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. And he goes on and says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, Adorned for her husband. All right, he goes on and says, And I heard a loud voice saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place. The tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then you jump over to verse 12, and he starts talking about what heaven's like. He said, and she had a great and high wall. I guess he's talking about the new Jerusalem. She had a great and high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. Now listen to this. And the names of them written, and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So here we go. I mean, we got the New Jerusalem, high wall, 12 gates, and the 12 tribes of Jerusalem. The tribe of Judah, and on I could go. And then it goes on and says in verse 14, Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. Now get this, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So we got the gates with the 12 tribes of Israel written on them, and then we got the 12 foundations who were the 12 apostles, Peter, James, John, and so forth. 
the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Then we go on over to verse 21. Verse 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Now, it sounds to me like Jesus is preparing quite a place for us. I mean, it, it kind of blows my mind. I mean, I, I'm going to love being there when those 12 gates are named after the 12 tribes of Israel. And boy, the 12 foundations are named after the, the 12 apostles. And, and man, uh, just to think that uh, it's going to be uh, s- s- uh, streets of gold. And in and, 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 and verse 14 that he said. But look at what it says here. In this new heaven and new earth. I saw no temple in it. The temple was not there with the outer court, holy place, holy of holies. I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So we're not going to have a building. We're just going to be living. (laughs) Boy, I get excited about this. We're just going to be living in the presence of Almighty God. And we're just going to be living in the presence of the Lamb. Woo! I cannot have, hey, listen, in God's presence, there's pleasure, uh, there's pleasures forevermore. And, and there's joy and pleasure at, at his right hand, and joy and pleasures forevermore. But there, there's not going to be any temple. The all of heaven is going to be a glorious place of worship, a glorious place of the presence of Almighty God and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And boy, look at it. I love this. The city had no need of the sun, S-U-N, or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. Wow. For somehow, the glory of God is all the light that is needed in this place called heaven. It's the glory of God. The presence of God. And, 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 and goes on and says, back in verse 22, it says, And uh, the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is the light. Let me just say something. Isn't it interesting how important the Lamb of God is in heaven? <laughs> you remember the first time that Abel had to offer sacrifice and it probably was the lamb, and you remember the lambs that were sacrificed at the Passover, and the blood put over the door so that the death angel would pass over. And you remember the first thing John the Baptist said about Jesus was, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then it goes on, and then you get in the first part of Revelation, and everybody, the four and twenty elders are all singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor and power. Isn't it amazing that throughout the Bible, the Lamb is exalted. And Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I am telling you, the focus of heaven is going to be the Lamb of God. And we're going to like that because we know the print of the nails in his hands was there because of us. And the spirits spirits that pierced his side was done for us. And I am telling you, can you imagine the, the, the almighty God's presence and the glory of God is the light. And here is the lamb. I am telling you, it is going to be one more glorious time. 
And let me tell you something. We'll worship 24-7. And by the way, the Bible says we'll serve God in heaven. Don't ask me how we will, but I'll show you that. The Bible says we'll serve God in heaven. But I, I can just tell you right now, what I like about it is, every one of us is going to have a good voice. That, that means a lot to <laughs> We all going to be able to sing. And we're not ever going to get tired. Praise God. There is not a vitamin store in heaven. Hallelujah. Man, I, I mean, he gets to talking about heaven. And, and boy, it is a real and wonderful place. And that's what Jesus has gone to prepare for us. He's gone to prepare a place for us. And then you look at verse uh, uh, 27 of, of, of Matthew, of Revelation 21, 21, 27. Thou shalt by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an, an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, when you get saved, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And, it's, and that's the only people that are going to be in there. So he, he just tells us about how glorious heaven is. I mean, so I'm trying to wrap my mind and heart around it. Oh, but I mean, I just, that's just one, one chapter of where he talks about it. And there's a lot more in there. But I, so many diamonds and jewels, I couldn't pronounce them. So I said, I ain't even going to try. But I'm telling you, you read Revelation 21, and, and you'll just want to praise God. Well, now... This is the, uh, I'm going to share this with you and, and we'll close with this. I didn't say when, but we will close with it. <laughs> All right. What about when a Christian dies? I want you to read this. Boy, I love this now. Paul was talking about dying. <laughs> and, and he was talking about his body. And you know what he called his body? A tent. Yeah. A tent that he lived in. Boy, we sure spend a lot of money on our tent, don't we? Oh, my soul. We put makeup on our tent. And we get a new tent. No, we can't get a new tent. But look what he says. For we know that if our earthly house, our body, if we know this earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So, like Billy Graham, he's just changing addresses. He left his earthly tent behind, and he's gone on to his, uh, for, to, uh, with his building uh, made by God. He says, a building from God, a house not made with hands in the heavens. Then verse 2. In this we groan, this body, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our new house, which is from heaven. Now, I can say to you, you know it's true. The older you get, the older you get, the more feeble your body becomes. And when you wake up one morning and you don't have any pain, you think you've already gone to heaven. <laughs> but if it's, if, it's, if it's not one thing, it's another. And it says here, in this we groan earnestly designed to be clothed with our habitation from heaven. I, I'd be perfectly glad to go ahead and get that new body on this earth. But it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. So we'll agree on to the next verse. If indeed we have been clothed with a new house from heaven, we shall not be found naked. And it goes on and says, For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, 
but further clothed that this mortality, a mortal body, may be swallowed up by life. And then he goes on and says, Now he who has prepared for us, he who has prepared for us this very thing is God. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it also means he's going to prepare a new body for us. He's prepared for us this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as his guarantee. And boy, this is the verse that really helps you. Don't ever forget it. So we're always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. All right? For we walk by faith and not by sight. And to be, it says we're confident, yes, well pleased, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You see, when a Christian, th- th- therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well with him. When a Christian draws his last earthly breath, at that point he leaves this earthly tent. And he goes on to heaven. Okay, what happens? Well, we take the earthly tent and we place it in a casket, or there are many ways people deal with death now. And it goes back to the dust from which it came. That is our body. But you know, the Bible says that we have a body, and we have a soul, and we have a spirit. Now, just, uh, I want you to listen to what uh, uh, it says about the, the body, soul, and spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now, some people say you just have a body and soul. Well, they're wrong. Let's see what the Bible says. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body. Well, that's it. Spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. Well, the body goes back to the dust from which it came. But our, our soul, now what is our soul? Our mind, thinking, our emotions, feeling. Our will choosing. Your soul is your, is your mind, your emotions, and your will. Now, I want to tell you something. When God created Adam, he had a powerful soul. Oh, he had a powerful soul. And Watchman Nee wrote a book entitled, The Latent Power of the Soul. We wonder how people who are not saved accomplish so many things. I mean, all this technology... From Facebook to notebook. I mean, all this stuff. All this technology. Where, where do they get that from? They got a powerful soul. They got a powerful mind that was given to them by God. And, and it's powerful. And, and, and emotions. Your mind, your emotions, and your will. That's all a part of your soul. And it is a powerful soul. And that's why a man is able to accomplish, even those who are not saved, many things. Because they do have a soul that was created by God. And so, he says, I pray God that your old spirit, soul, and body will be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So when a Christian dies, our body goes back to the dust from which it came. But our soul, mind, emotions, and will... And our spirit, the capacity to communicate with God, 
the capacity to know God. What we got back when, in John th- uh, chapter 3, I think it is, where he said, you must be born again. You've been born physically. You've got a body. You're born with a soul, but you, you're dead in your spirit, so you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. The distinguish, distinguishing a person who is not saved has a body and a soul, but their spirit, human spirit, is dead. A person who's saved has a body, a soul, and a spirit, and their spirit is alive to the things of God. And so when we die, our soul and our spirit of a believer goes to be with the Lord. Now, I just read to you earlier, to be absent from the body is what? Is to be present with the Lord. So there's no such thing as soul sleep. When the Bible refers to people, Christians sleeping, it's talking about their body and the, and the fact that they've died. But, but, but no, what happens is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so right now, my mother, who died on April 26, 1993, her soul, her mind, emotions, and will, and her spirit are with Jesus. She's in heaven and enjoying all the glories and wonders of heaven. Now, there's going to be the, a final heaven we'll all end up in when, when God finishes his work. But I want you to know when a Christian dies, immediately they go to heaven. When a lost person dies, immediately they go to hell. So we've got to understand that we've never been more alive because when we get, go to heaven, then our soul is, is perfect. Our mind, our emotions, and our will is perfect. And our spirit can have un, unhindered communion with God. So it's glorious when a Christian dies that, that we just know that the body is going back to the dust. One day it'll be raised a new body. But we, our spirit and our soul, go on to be the, with the Lord immediately. And, and so that's a glorious thought. Now, when Jesus comes back and uh, he brings his church with him, and it's the, it is the first coming of Christ is called the rapture. When he comes back, all the people who've died in Christ, they're going to come back with him. And then those of us uh, uh, who are alive will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. Let, let me read that for you. It says that some of the Thessalonians were grieving over their loved ones who had died. Now, now listen to what it says. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Some of you are going around here sorrowing like you, you, your, your, your loved ones are gone. They're not gone. They're in heaven. So I don't want you to be ignorant about that so you won't sorrow as others who have no hope. For we, we, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, even so will God bring with him those who have already gone to be with Jesus, those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord will not go before those who have fallen asleep. In other words, the people that are, have died and are in the grave, they're gonna go, uh, we're not going to go before them. It says, for the Lord himself will descend with heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, with them, our loved ones who went before. 
with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So, when do we get our new body? At, at the resurrection, when Jesus comes with the saints who've gone before, they come with him. They get their new body on the way down, and we get our new body on the way up. That ain't bad. I don't care how I get it as long as I get it. So the Bible didn't leave us in the dark about that. And, and the Bible has a lot to say about uh, our new body. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, this tent I've got, got on right up here right now. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption, our body is corrupted. It's subject to disease and death. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Not all of us are going to die. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. Man, the trumpet's going to sound. And, and I was out at Memorial Garden Saturday. I'm telling you, all them graves of the Christians are going to open up, and it is going to be a sight when they all go up from over there. My Lord, have mercy. <laughs> it is going to be a sight. They have beautiful flowers all over there where the people's graves are. But, buddy, I tell you, the children of God whose bodies there and gone back to the dust, I'm telling you, they're going to bust forth from that grave. It says, in a moment, in the trink of an eye, the last trump, the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised incorruptible with a new body, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible body must put on an incorruptible body. This mortal body must put on immortality. When this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought the past, the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And all of God's people said, hallelujah. It's going to be raised. Yes, we're going to be raised. It's going to be raised an incorruptible body, an immortal body. And it's going to be a new and glorified body. And the saying is death has been swallowed up. Swallowed up in victory. And, uh, and so we're going to get that new and glorified body. Let's read on. Oh, death, where is your sting anyway? We don't have to be afraid to die if you're a child of God. You can be concerned about how you die. You, I, I have a plan how I want to die. I want to die well. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> but most people have to get sick before they die. So we don't have a choice on the way we die. We can sure pray, Lord, I sure don't want to die that way. And that's, between, that's, that's, that's whatever's in the heart of God. But that does concern us more than dying if you're a Christian. It, 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 it's more, we're more concerned about how we die than die, death itself. Because death has lost its Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? It says, and it goes on in the next verse and says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Jesus, who gives us the victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on and says in the next verse, Therefore be steadfast, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Okay. So, at the resurrection, we're going to get our new and glorified body. Those who are coming in the air are going to get their new and glorified body. Okay. But now, i got two, just two other verses I want to share with you. And one of them I got some more light on that really helped me. In 1 Corinthians 15, 46 through 49, look at this. However, our spiritual body, our glorified body, is not first. But the natural, the body we were born with when we came out of our mother's womb. But the natural, and afterward, then you get the spiritual body. All right? The first man was of the earth, made, with the, made of dust. The second man, the new body, the second man is the Lord from heaven. And then the next verse says, in verse 48, And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And, and as, is, as, the, as, the, as is the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. And then I, this verse, is, I really like this verse right here, verse 49. And uh, it's okay. Now here's, I want you to get this now, because I'm going to say something. You're going to think, if you've got anything, any scripture. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we were, born, we were born in the image of Adam. So as we've been born in the image of the man of dust, <laughs> woo, so also shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. You know what that means? When you die and you get your new body, you're going to be just like Jesus. You're going to be just, he got a glorified body. And it says we are going to bear the image of the heavenly man. So that doesn't mean you're going to look like Jesus. But it means that you're going to, you're going to be 33 years old when you get in heaven. Who would want to be in heaven at 80 limping around trying to, no, I'm not interested in that. But no, it says here, so we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. The Bible, Jesus said, when we see him in 1 John 3, 2, it says, when we see him, we will be like him. And here it is, beloved, now we're the children of God and it's not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And we're going to bear the, the image of the heavenly. So praise the Lord. My mama's going to be 33 when she, and boy, she was beautiful at 33. Now, I wasn't there to see her, but I guarantee you, she's going to, think about it. I mean, and you, we'll know each other. We'll know each other. Just thank God our personalities will be perfect. Amen? <laughs> nobody will be grouchy in heaven. Nobody, nobody, no. But we're going to have the same body Jesus had when he rose from the dead. Man, I, I tell you, that is glorious. That is absolutely glorious. Well, we've all had loved ones that have gone. Some of them went recently. Others I know of are about to go. But I want to tell you something. Death has lost its sting. The grave has lost its victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. For me to live is Christ. And what's the rest of the verse? And to die is gain. Bow your heads with me, if you would.